All right, away we go. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans. Romans chapter 14. And before we dig in, let's pause and look to our Lord in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we have something that is so much beyond us and above us that we can cluster around. We, we celebrate, we glory in the wisdom, in the intelligence, in the absolute merit of the Word of God. What else, Lord, could we cluster around? I'm so thankful, Lord, that as I stand up here before this group of people, many of whom know more and are, are brighter than I am, and, and uh, that, that I am not left to my own resources, but I just open up the Word of God, and, and the Word of God through the Holy Spirit teaches, and I'm very much dependent on that again this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Incline our hearts to it, I pray. Incline our hearts toward you. Um, and, Lord, I would pray that uh, coming out the other end of this, um, the, those that have a false assurance will be shaken. Those, Lord, that have their sins paid for in Christ will once again be reassured. And all of us will be motivated and energized for doing a work and living a life that is, will count for eternity, for your glory, and for our ultimate joy. And we commit this time afresh into your hands, in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Grade 7 were the four toughest years of my life. No, um, grade seven, I, I managed to peel through in one year, but I really didn't like grade seven. Uh, part of what I really didn't like about grade seven was math. Um, I, I came later in life to actually enjoy math, but grade seven math was uh, a horrible, Thing. We had a very nice teacher, but he had this very strange little quirk he did. You would walk into math class, and out of a clear blue sky, you would find in all of the desks a piece of what they called full scap. It was legal length, blank lined paper, and a pencil. And as I would walk into that, my heart would sink. I got through school to the extent that I did by memory. I could memorize stuff. Um, what this pop quiz that he called did is it said, how much have you retained as we went along? Nobody knew this test was coming. He was just saying, do you actually have that skill? And I hated pop quizzes because if there's a test coming up, I want to know about it, right? Then I can cram for it. You know, that's, that was how I did that. But 
as I opened up the Word of God, I learned something. There's a pop quiz, and, and, and it, there's a test, there's a judgment coming. And I had kind of thought, well, when I become a believer, I've passed all judgment. Is that true? We'll talk about that. But here it kept on talking about believers being judged. And that, of course, brought the old fear back. There's a judgment. Believers are going to be in a judgment. What's all that about? So we're going to talk about that. All week we've been talking about spiritual gifts. There is, when a person becomes a believer, the Holy Spirit does a number of things that we are unaware of. He baptizes us into the body of Christ. He gives us a new nature, not all of which we quite get, um, but we become aware of. We're given a new nature. But one of the things also that he does is he gives us a very individualized, personalized package called a spiritual gift. And it will be at, at some level a blend of the various giftings that are out there and available to the people of the Lord. And, and the whole point that we saw is in the first three sessions we had together is there's a reason why he did that. It is not for self-exaltation, not for the self-edification, not to, I got something you don't, to a brother or sister in the Lord. The whole point of it is having these gifts, therefore, out of loyalty to Christ, out of the idea, why did the Lord give this to me anyway, we need to employ these sacrificially, zealously, to the benefit of the body of Christ, to the glory of God. We, they are installments, they are given to us as a, a wonderful gift, and it's not to tuck away in our sock drawer. These gifts are given to be used and be used in the body of Christ. And the rest of the story is, and there is an accounting coming for every believer, what did you do with everything I gave you? And it goes beyond your spiritual gifts. It goes beyond that thing where you have an ability in the body of Christ to do something that has supernatural enablements to the body of Christ. It goes beyond that. The Bema of Christ, as we're going to see here in a minute, takes into account your spiritual gift. It takes into account all of your natural gifts. Your particular acumen, your ability to think academically, reason, the stuff you know, the stuff you've been trained at, the skills you have, whether you can do stuff with your fingers or they're, you know, uh, like two mud hooks, um, whether you have musical ability, how many languages you know, all of those things, the money you have, everything, all of that is a gift from God. And all of those we're going to give an account of what did you do with in your life. 
And it's all wrapped up in this concept of the Bema of Christ. Let's look at it in Romans chapter 14. I hate missing verse 9 because it's such a good verse, but then we'll go further. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it's written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. I don't know what you picture when you read that. Some of you might picture that here you are at this big, long table, and the Lord kind of says, oh, here's... Here's Pastor Howard. We all know all the you know all the stuff he's really poor at, but there's some stuff that you need to know about him that he did over here, and I'll just be kind of sitting there and going, oh, oh, I forgot about that, or oh, oh, that was very kind of you to mention, and uh, you know, I just and 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 people are saying nice things about me, you know, kind of like at your retirement, yeah, and you're hoping to get a gold watch at the end. That's very definitely not what's being said here he said each one of us shall give an account I don't want to fill your heart with terror here some of you have a hard time with public speaking but it isn't where I passively sit back and somebody says some nice things about me I stand up with full knowledge of everything that the Lord has given me down to the last shillingi, the last shilling. Everything is accounted for of what he's given me. And I stand up and I give an account. You say, I I don't know if I like that and I'm not sure I'm prepared for that. And I'm just going to say, I'm going to read that. Everyone who is a believer will stand up and give an accounting. What did you do with the stuff I gave you? Wow. Does that sound a little intimidating to you? It should be motivating. But we're going to look at a few more things about it. The Bema. He says, you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And judgment seat is uh, the English translation, but the Greek word is the Bema. And as he talks about the Bema, the Bema was used in several connections. It was kind of a raised platform like this. Uh, Christ, for example, was down there and Pilate was up on a bima, a judgment seat. So it had its, uh, it had an, a utilization in the legal sense, the forensic sense. But this sense here is the one that was more popularly done. And, th- and this was from the Ismithian Games. Say that four times real quick. The Ismithian Games were way bigger than the Olympics. 
back in the day. And, and particularly, uh, there was, the, the, in the Greek mythology, Hercules had walked this many paces with a big thing on him, and so they called that a stadia. It was a distance. And so they would have a, a stadia marked out in a circle, and then bleachers around it, and it was called a... Uh, you saw that one coming, a stadium. And in the center there, there was a bima. And if we were looking on today at what was going on there, in particularly the premier event, which was the stadia run, if we were looking on at that, we'd say that is the most disorganized jumble you've ever seen. Because there would be some runners... And they're just kind of hunched over, and then all of us, actually they didn't hunch over that much. They'd hunch over a bit, but their starting block was they'd put their hands way out, which looks really strange. And they'd all of a sudden tear off like crazy, giving it everything they can, and then stop. And some runners were just kind of going, and they would go round and round and round. And, it, and there were people who were up there judging and at the end of that whole cacophonous thing, they'd say, this guy's the winner. And you go, well, well, what? How did that happen? The judges who were on the bima were taking into account a number of things. This guy's really good at short distance. But is he better at short distance than this guy is at long distance? They were taking into account the physical properties of the guy. They were taking into account effort. They were taking into account their training record, which was up there right at the bema there. And they were taking into account all of the intangibles and saying based on what this guy had, what he had to work with, this guy is the winner relative to the rest in what they did with what they had. And so Paul very, very aptly uses it for an analogy, a metaphor, because it fits so well. Because we must all stand before the bima of Christ. And what's going on is incredibly similar. There's a great correspondence to what was going on in the sports bima. Um, there is not a, a whole bunch of judges. There's one judge. It's the Bema of Christ. But at the Bema of Christ, he takes into account everything he knows he deposited as a trust to you personally. How much did you love me? How much did you display and demonstrate that love to me by your service to the body of Christ with the stuff I gave you. Wow. Um, it takes into account a whole bunch of things that are intangible. You'd say, well, you can't judge there because, you know, there's unequal footing. Christ can. You say, well, this guy is doing a lot more and he's a lot busier and all of that than this guy, but this guy's taking care of family. Well, he's taking care of family. He's doing what he's supposed to do. This guy's taking care of a wife and, and maybe a, a, a wife that uh, has some health problems or whatever. Need, he's doing what he's supposed to do. 
but it takes into account all of those tangibles that nobody else has all of the information and all of the really the gravitas to be able to say oh okay this was a really sincere excellent effort and it results in this reward and this person gets this reward the only one who could ever do that is the Lord Jesus Christ so it is the bima of Christ it takes into account everything you got in all the time you have and he says put all together what did you do with what you had for me for the Lord now when we're going through here, I need to do some um, refinement because you might be uh, thinking of a whole bunch of different judgments and uh, throwing them all in the blender and hitting puree, okay? And saying, well, that, that's all part of the same judgment. There are a number of judgments in this, this spoken of in the Word of God. For example, the one that is frequently used, and I'm going to say it's out of context, is, for example, the sheep and goat judgments. The sheep and goat judgments that Christ describes in the Olivet Discourse is a commentary on uh, what was called the rod judgments in the book of Ezekiel. And they, those rod judgments occur when the Lord Jesus Christ personally returns to set up his millennial kingdom. There's a particular time and it's a particular group of people. We'll get to that as we go through the book of Luke, but just to give you a sneak preview, the people who are in that judgment are people who have come to faith during the tribulation period, just so that you know, and we don't use the wrong verse. There is another judgment that you've probably heard of, and that is I saw a throne, and from that throne, everything fled away. And people were caused to stand and the term used in the Greek there means the standing that is obliged for someone about to be sentenced the verdict of whether they're guilty or innocent has already been established they're standing for sentencing that's the great white throne judgment everybody everybody who goes to the great white throne judgment that's described in the book of Revelation, they are going to the lake of fire. What is being established is what is the um, severity of their sentencing. That's not, we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit, but that's not what this one is. This is the judgment seat of Christ. Go back here and look at it for a sec. He's talking to believers. He's saying, brothers, why are you regarding another brother in contempt? For we must all bef uh, stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So all of those images hit delete on. This is a different judgment. It's at a different time. Um, what is the timing of this one? Well, <clears throat> we have a few hints. Turn, if you would, real quick to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 4, <clears throat> Revelation chapter 4, 
I'll just pick out a few here. Verse 4, And around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. Those 24 elders, if we'd taken the time to do the exegesis, are representatives of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. They have just been uh, caught up together in the clouds and what's happening on earth at this point in time is the outbreak of the tribulation, horrible times. But this group has been collected, brought up into heaven, they're all believers. And they got thrones, what's that all about? Well, let's go back to the, the sports arena. The Bema there, he's, he's, uh, the, the judges are looking at these guys that are running around chaotically. And somebody says, this guy's the winner. And, and so what would happen is that he would be called up onto the dais. And, and then he would be, this is really bad. In the early days, he would be given a crown of celery. Let that sink in for a bit. Man, uh, look at me. I won. I have a crown of celery. Thankfully, that kind of you know, went away a little bit. And, and soon they started giving a pine, the tree, wreath. And so the one who won, they would put a crown on his head. And contrary to what we would do today where they stand up and they, you know, do all kinds of gestures, I'm number one, or do some political thing, they would quickly not receive any of the applause of the adoring crowds. They would quickly pick up and they would run to the temple of the god, overwhelmingly the false god that they served, and as an act of worship, they would take that crown and they would put it at the altar of the false god that they served as a means by which of quantifying the training, the effort, and all of that stuff into one little package and putting that as a worship, worship package to the false god that they were serving. Here, all of a sudden, it seems that one of the first things that happens when the church is gathered that's talked about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, is they go through something called the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm looking forward to that. And what happens and appears to be at the same time is the rewarding of the church. Here it is, early in the early days of that, here they have their crowns. And that's why Paul uses this, because there's a wonderful correspondence between the two. Uh, let's go ahead then to verse 10. What do we do with these crowns? Are we, are we kind of going around going, look at my, my stack of crowns is a bit taller than yours. Um, no. It says here, and uh, verse, we'll start in verse 9. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sit on the throne and will worship him who lives forever, and they will cast their crowns before the throne, saying... Worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. The whole purpose of that is the same thing. Rewards are given very, very perceptively, and it's all of that distilled down into this package of worth. 
And then there's the preparation, then there's the enabling to take that very thing which really represents the labor, the intentions, the investments spiritually of a lifetime quantified in an object and the ability then to put that before the throne of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as a way of taking that effort and turning it into some sort of a tangible worship whereby I could worship the Lord and and the whole point of that is is when you get the crown all of the garbage and all of the false motives and all of it it's all been purified it's all been made so that it's just the good stuff left so that happens apparently early on uh, when the world is going in tumult during the tribulation period a little bit later about seven years later the Lord comes down to earth to set up his rule and as he comes he comes with attending him is the church and the church is robed it is is the clothed in the righteousness of saints which is all of the stuff that was done with impure motives the stuff that was done not quite up to par all of that has been sifted out so that all that stands is the purified righteousness and the church is clothed with that so that gives us a little bit of an idea of the timing of it <clears throat> the judgment seat of Christ that's the when who well we looked at that that's believers what is judged and 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 to what extent well let's look at another passage go if you would to 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 This is kind of like when you, when you buy a, a Chevy Suburban, all of a sudden you're looking around and there's Suburbans all over that you never noticed before. You're gonna see that in this passage, all of a sudden we're starting to see the judgment seat of Christ and you're gonna start seeing references to this all over in scripture, but here's a, here's a good one. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter five, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He's talking to believers again the beam of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body. Ah, I know what that sounds like. Were you a bad boy? Okay, you're gonna get your deeds, you're gonna get what you deserve. And, and you're gonna get whacked, is that, is that possible? No, it's not. If you're a believer, how did you get to be a believer? How did you get to be a disciple of Jesus? Well, the answer is because Christ took the full payment of judgment for your sins and paid for it completely. A believer is one who has been declared just for their lifetime, which means from the moment of conception to the moment where they stand before the Lord, Jesus Christ has paid fully for that sin. Fully for that sin. 
And if you are a believer, that's what's happened to you. You have been justified. There, there is no more payment needed for the sins that you, create, you, you, you did before or the ones that you're going to. It's done. And the other beautiful part about this is that you were given the righteousness of God as a legal standing. You know that. So at the Bema Seat of Christ is it where, okay, we're going to drag all those sins out again. And now you're going to get your proper thrashing, son. No. The full proper thrashing for your sin happened on the cross of Jesus Christ or you wouldn't be a believer. So this is not a judgment of sin. It really is what it says. It's recompense for his deeds in the body. Since you become a believer, what did you do with the stuff that I gave you for service to me. And having said that, the stuff that you did for me that was good, that was worthwhile, and so forth, um, it's inexplicable, but he says, Do you know something? I'm going to give you a reward for that. And you go, actually, that doesn't quite make sense because he works in us both the will and to do of his good pleasure. If, if, if we did something good, it was because he motivated. If we did something good, we looked at it in, uh, as we were going through the gifts. He's the one that kind of outlined what kind of effects there were because of your gifting. All of that, we, we just go, Lord, this was all yours. This is all something you did. But, but there's that tension in the word of God. This is the stuff that the Lord did. This is the stuff that you're doing. And and so what the Lord is doing out of great grace is he's going and saying, there's some of you who uh, just sort of did the zippity-doo-dah, zippity-yay. No bigs as you're running around the stadia. And there are some that were absolutely flat out and there's going to be a differentiation of who really was absolutely full out disciple of the Lord and who was plagued with a selfishness in terms of what he did and what, how he lived his life. So you will be recompensed for the deeds in the body. In other words, the good stuff that you did, you are going to receive a reward for, which is wonderful good news. But it also has a potential that we go back and we go, wow, I could have done more. But we'll talk more about that. Anyway. What's going to happen here? He will be recompensed, he or she will be recompensed for the deeds in the body. And then it says, according to what he has done, lifetime achievement here, whether it be, and we go, oh boy, this doesn't sound good, whether it be good or bad. Good or bad. It, the terms here are comparatives, but they are non-moral comparatives. It's not good or evil, it is profitable or unprofitable what did you do with your stuff did it was it something that resulted in spiritual profitability or was it something where you used and squandered the resources and you got nothing to show for it in terms of service to the body of Christ that's what's being judged that's what's being evaluated that's what the bema of Christ is about so what is judged your life Last night we talked about, here's all the stuff you have. What are you going to do with all your stuff? 
And here, the Lord Jesus Christ, who knows very, very well everything he's given to you, sifts through the words, the thoughts, the deeds, the efforts of an entire lifetime, your lifetime, and washes through that whole thing and says, here is the good stuff. And you go, well, how do we kind of do the separation? How do we kind of figure out? Because there's lots of times we do the right thing. But our motives are not quite as, as, as pure as the driven snow, are we? And if you've eaten driven snow, you realize, well, that's not all that pure either. Okay, you can get a mouthful of grit. How, how is he going to kind of sort that all out? Well, First uh, Corinthians chapter 3. Look at that for a moment. Here he's specifically talking about church building. But he's, he's talking about a principle here that, evolved, that is um, in effect to all believers. Verse 10, according to the grace of God, give, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and others building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. Uh, consider the, the care and consider the quality of your service that is building onto what other people's work was, okay? For no man can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. In other words, the very foundation of this is Jesus Christ. So it does kind of give you pause to say, if, if that's the case, if that's the quality of building, you, you, don't, you don't just you know, slap on some stuff and go, well, Play-Doh, close, right? You, you, you want to be building in, in a, uh, using materials that would be appropriate to the caliber of building that it is. But these are believers. They're building on a foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're saved. He says, now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Oh, no, look at that. It's talking about believers going into hellfire. No. What's exposed to the fire? The believer? His works. There's an evaluation of the works of the believer, not the believer. Again, going back, for the believer, um, is this where he's getting burned because of his sin? No. The full, complete judgment for a believer's sin happened at the cross, or we're all in trouble. It all happened at the cross. What this is, is an evaluation of your works, and it's a way to kind of sift out. Um, I saw a need over here. And there was something genuine that happened in my heart that goes, I, I have this spirit-given urge. I need to give to that particular need. And you go, right at that moment, right for that twinkling of an eye, there was the right motive, there was the right response, there was the right everything. And then about 15 seconds later, there's another little motive that comes into your head. I wonder if anyone will know that I did this and think, Man, Howard's a, a great chap. 
and it gets a little bit corrupted. And, and then you think, I wonder if they'll really think a lot of me and think, man, that Howard's a great guy as I give it. And it gets a little bit more corrupted. And, and, and very often, even things that start out pretty good in our heart, they get polluted because we're polluted. We're st- we still have the flesh. How do you separate all of that? Well, he does that here. The fire, it's an allegorical fire, but it, it is the, the way by which all of the dross can be removed from the stuff that you did to reveal what was pure about what you did. Okay? So, it'll be revealed by fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work, which he has built on, it remains, he will receive a reward. This is the burning off of stuff that is maybe done right, but done for the wrong reasons, the wrong motives. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. And the idea there is loss of investment, not he's going to lose an arm. He will suffer loss, but he himself, here it is, will be saved. Stop there for a minute. Why is he saved? Because the Lord Jesus Christ, for this individual, absorbed the wrath of God for that person. He's going to be saved. But it says, yet as though through the fire. All of his stuff passed through the fire. And so when we see that assembly that we looked at in Revelation chapter 4, and there's the elders, and they have their, their crowns on. They've received the reward. It's all passed through the fire, and now what's left is the good stuff that you can use as a means of giving tangible worship to my Lord in heaven. And that's the whole purpose of the whole thing. Let's go a little further. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of the Lord and stewards of the mysteries of God. And as he said that, that is Paul-specific, but it also applies to us. Everything that we have, everything in this life, even down to your body, is something given to you by God. I recall listening in on a debate that was happening at the legislature of the British Columbia legislature in Victoria, and they were talking through a while back the issue of the right to die or euthanasia. And one guy got up and he said, it's absolutely that we should be able to kill ourselves. Has to be. And he he kind of finished his little speech with a thunder. He said, this is my body. If this is not my body, whose body is it? The church of the Lord Jesus Christ must learn to be quick to say, it's God's. It's not yours. It's not your body to kill. It's not your body to stuff full of drugs. It's not your body to do all of that. The body belongs to God. And the moment God says your rental is up, He snatches your soul spirit out of the body which is his and you face him. Here's my first appeal. 
if you're hearing the sound of my voice, do make sure that Jesus Christ is your sin bearer. Do make sure that you're at the Bema, not the great white throne. Be there. Anyway, we go forward. The whole thing of life is a stewardship. And the whole idea of a stewardship is we're, we're working with other people's stuff. Um, he told two parables, uh, one with talents, and we can get confused by that, thinking talent is some sort of an ability. It, it was a unit of money. It was a lot of money, okay? It was about $30,000. Uh, a talent of silver was about $30,000. And it says the master gave them this money to, and he says, use it. Uh, literally, uh, I, I want you to invest it till I, came, till I come. Uh, another one uh, that we're going to get to in, in a couple chapters in the book of Luke, he gives them minas. And, uh, and he says, occupy till I come, which is do the whole thing, invest it, and, and, and get something happening with it. But the hall of life is a stewardship. It is, it is a trust. And none of it is ours, right? That's what's going on. But let's go on. In this case, moreover, it's required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. If I take that which is somebody else's, and I invest it, and I use it, having got access to their account and their stuff, if I use it to my own benefit, and I start writing checks on it for my own benefit, what is that called? It's called theft. It's called being a dishonest steward. I need to, number one, be continually remembering Jesus is Lord. He's the owner. He's the master. Everything that I have, Jesus is Lord. It's not like Jesus is Lord, distant sort of a concept. Oh, and I got this stuff, and here I'm, I'll, I'll throw the Lord a 20 once in a while. Good for me. All of it is the Lord's. And all of it, then, I will be drawn into account because he's a good manager above all things. All of it I'll be drawn into account, and I will stand up and say, here's what I did with the stuff you gave me. And what's required is faithfulness, meaning I use God's stuff for him. I use God's stuff for him. He says, but to me it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself, he says, I'm probably not going to have a good line on even figuring out how I'm doing in that. I, I, I don't know the, the, the depravity of my own heart. It's a good thing that the Lord is going to be the judge of this because I wouldn't do it right either. Many of us, if we were in our right mind, we'd say, okay, so all of my stuff and all of my motives is going to be examined. And then we say, so what am I going to have out of that? You go, probably not one marble. And, it, and if out of that whole thing we end up going, you, well done, good and faithful servant, here's ten cities. Some people are going to get ten cities. And I'm just going to learn how to do that, you know, like the, the, broom, the broom. I'm going to get good at that. We won't have a really good line on even judging ourselves. So kids, don't be judging other people. You, you don't know what's going on in their hearts. You don't know... 
what's going on in their life, what their background is, what their strength is. You don't know any of that stuff. So don't be judging that. The Lord is the only one qualified to judge that. And, and that will happen at the Bema of Christ. He says, for I'm conscious of nothing against myself. He says, I, I, I kind of look at my soul and, and I say, I, I, don't, I don't think there's something that's you know, completely haywire here. But he says, but yet I am not by this acquitted. He says, but that's no judge of anything because the one who judges is the Lord. The one who examines me is the Lord. So he says, therefore, therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time. So in other words, don't be figuring out, okay, well, at the Bema Seat of Christ, I think I've got a crown and a quarter. No, you, you don't, don't be, there's time enough for counting when the dealing's done. You, that, it's not to be evaluated there. You don't, have the, you don't have the running gear to be able to do that analysis. Your point is, Head down and keep working with what you have. He says, uh, but wait until the Lord comes who will bring to light the things hidden in darkness. And our mind immediately runs to, oh, the secret sinful stuff. No. What he's talking about is, I'll give you an example. There's a guy by the name of um, Dehan, M.R. Dehan. He was a, he was a, a doctor. And, and he quit being a doctor and he ended up preaching in the church because he said, I, I want to have my life count for something more. And he said, I can't think of anything that would, uh, where, I, where it's going to tally up quicker than if I dedicate it to service in the church even more than being a doctor. And so he decided to go be a doctor but in the church and, and preach. And he had a whole bunch of habits that I kind of like. He was a fly fisherman. But he also did this kind of quirky thing when the, cold, the weather was cold and the rivers were kind of froze over. He would make pies. And I like the idea of making pies, but eating them more. But um, uh, he would make pies, lots of them. And he would sell pies. And he kind of he, he uh, charged quite a bit for them. For this homemade pie back in the day it runs in my mind it was like five dollars a pie which would have been like 25 dollars like it was just it was sort of outweighted kind of a price for his pies but he sold these pies and so people would come along once in a while and say hey we're having a this dinner or we're having a that dinner would you would you provide some pies absolutely i'll provide some pies would you would you donate your pies five dollars a pie and somebody would say that old skin flint preacher guy like you're making pies you're charging big bucks for it you can donate a few pies and he would just very patiently say five dollars a pie and nobody figured it out until he died when he died they had an open mic and there was a steady line of people coming in. And they were widows. And they said, you would never guess, but my, my husband died and we had this huge debt. He paid off my debt. And he bought us groceries. And somebody would come in and say, um, I couldn't afford to go to a doctor, so I went to 
M.R. Dehan, and he did the doctoring, and he said, here's the prescription, I'll write out a prescription. And when you got to the prescription, you found out it was also a check paid. And over and over again, there were people who were coming up that nobody knew about. They were coming up and saying, do you know what this M.R. Dehan was doing? And, and there was this whole little army of widows and, and hard cases that he was personally financing. And people would come to him and they'd say, I know what you make as a pastor. You can't do this. You can't afford this. And he'd say, it's as easy as pie. He didn't talk a lot about it, but he was doing something that was hidden in darkness. Nobody knew about. But at his funeral, it came up that, oh, that's what was going on. Well, there's going to be elements like that in a believer's life where quietly behind the scenes, they're doing these things. They're not getting any credit. They're not getting any, nobody's singing an ode to them. But all of those things that are in darkness, obscured, are going to be brought to light. And there is going to be absolute fairness and incredible mercy and generosity where the kind of reward radically outweighs the little bit of goodness because that's the kind of a master we work for. So he's going to bring to light the things clothed, hidden in darkness and disclose the motives of men's heart. Why did you do that? That was a wonderful... Why did you do that? And all of a sudden we're going to see be brought to light some things that there was no way we could have seen, but the Lord saw. And let's end this all on a wonderful note because he does. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. So the point of this is not where you go to the Bema Seat of Christ and you get the spanking you've been asking for for a long time. In incredible mercy, what's being set up is the Lord says, I'm going to come and, and even small issues of kindness done for the right motive, done in my name, done to serve me and my body. He says, I am going to reward with lavish generosity. And the beautiful thing is we're, going to, we're saying, okay, that's going to be great for those guys. But he says here, and each man's praise will come to him from the God. In other words, if you're a believer, if you are a believer, you are producing those benefits. And, and there will not be a situation where there is a believer who is not bearing fruit. All believers will be bearing fruit. And here it is, it will be sifted through, got down to the nitty-gritty of it, and then rewarded, given in a tangible piece. And we'll have the ability to then take that to the throne of my Father and take the, the effort of a lifetime and offer it up as worship to my Lord. That's the Bema Seat of Christ. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren. You've been given a wonderful gift with spiritual gifts. It's the ability to serve the body of Christ with supernatural ability and, and outcomes. 
Do something with it. You've been given a life. You've been given strength. You've been given an intellect. You've been, you've been given a family. You've been given a situation where you're not tied down by a family. You've got all of these things. Do something with it to the glory, to the benefit of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Serve the body of Christ with everything that you have, with every fiber of your being, all the time. All the time. We'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. There's a few therefores out of the deal. That's the first one. Diligent, absolute, head down, service for the Lord is the expectation of every believer. Number two, don't judge the performance of others. You don't have the firepower to do it. You don't have the insight and the intellect to do that. Don't be judging other people. Just sort of MYOB. <laughs> Mind your own business. You, you got lots to worry about just kind of doing something with what God gave you. You head down and you keep at that. Don't be judging the opinions of other fellow slaves. He makes the point in Romans chapter 14. What are you doing running around uh, passing judgment on other men's opinions? Not sin, but an opinion. What? Why are you doing that? He asks the question, he says, um, why would you judge another man's servant, another man's slave? Like, are you, are you paying their bills? Is he working for you? What do you do running around and, and you know, going on the internet or whatever and saying, here's, here's uh, here, I'm going to pop off and give my 35 cents on this guy. Like, does he work for you? Is he your employer? Are you his employer? Like, stop passing judgment on what other people are doing. Uh, he says later on in, first, in Romans chapter 14, don't be, don't be putting stumbling blocks, sin traps in front of people, particularly young believers. Be careful about that. And then again, he says with, um, yeah, real, real depth. Work your life for me. Because I'm the master, Jesus says. And you know something? All of your work, he will never fail to reward warmly. And I got one more. I beg of you, please, in the wording of 2 Corinthians 5, be at this judgment seat be at this judgment seat there's a different judgment seat that some here today might be standing by and I would do all in my power to see that you're not there Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small standing before the throne and the books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life. First book, what did he do? Serious? Yeah. What you do, what you say, what you think, there is a flawless record. 
that even records the motivations at the time. He's capable of that. Actually, he's incapable of doing other. He's omniscient. And it's written down in a book. Those are deeds. And here's the second one, which is the book of life. There's a very crisp set of records. Who has life and who does not have life? If you're here today and you have understood the gospel, if you have said the only thing that can pay for my sin debt is the finished work of Christ on Calvary, Lord Jesus Christ, would you do something I cannot ever merit? Would you pay entirely for my entire sin debt? People who do that, people who come to him and, and say, you're the master, I'll be the slave, people who come like that, Christ says, I will in no wise cast out. Now they have Christ as their sin bearer. Now they have their name in the book of life. Be there. These people do not have their name written in the book of life. And what goes on from here is not, so did they make it or did they not make No. Nobody at the great white throne goes to heaven. They're all going to the lake of fire. What's being evaluated here is the severity of the punishment and the torment. Everybody has the same length of time, eternity. You go, but that sounds horrible. Yes, it does. Why would God do that? Here's the thing. God is giving us some warning. You have warning right now. Don't be worrying about, well, I don't know if I like that concept. He's giving you a warning. He's saying even people, all people who don't deserve, all of those people, I'm giving you a way to avoid this. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and, hath, and death and hell gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found, written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. If you're here today and you do not have the Lord Jesus Christ as your sin bearer, you are, in the words of Christ, still in your sins. And if you die and you are in your sins, you will be here. If you die, if you live or if you die and you are in your sins, you will be here. That is more certain than the idea of you seeing tomorrow's sunset. If you're in your sins, you will be here. And so my last bit of teaching on the Bema of Christ is, don't be here. You don't need to be here. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Have your sin debt completely paid. Put no confidence in your good works or in your good works program or your religious program. Say, the only thing that's going to do this if, if God pays my ticket fully. And because he's God, we respond to him as God. And we say, oh, 
He's the boss. He has the right to command. And we say, I'm going to have that relationship with you. Be the seat of Christ. I beg you in Christ's stead. Be there. Be there, please. To the joy of his saints. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the solemnity, even the severity of it, but Lord, thank you for the good news of it. Heavenly Father, that you would sift through the, the nonsense and the trash of my life and, and, and be desirous to figure out what was good in that so that he can give a reward. I, I can hardly imagine the kind of, of great love that you have there that you would bother to do that. Thank you, Lord, that you're going to do that. And given that you're going to do that, I would pray, Lord, that you'd help us to bend every effort to take everything that we have and everything that we own and put it all on the altar of your service and live our entire lives as bond slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ for, for your glory because we know it will result in our joy. For we ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, and we're dismissed. Baptismal candidates, how about you come up here? we got a few minutes, and then I guess dinner's on next. God bless you. We're dismissed. <laughs>